check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we have a tremendous, fantastic show for you. We've got a boatload of guests to go over the AFC North. Okay, this is an interesting division this year. We have some very competitive teams, one of whom represented the AFC in the Super Bowl last year. So I'm looking forward very much to those conversations. But of course, before we jump into that, I have Julius Lux to go over the news for today. And we've got some interesting tidbits. Julius, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Everything's all good on my end. How are things with you? I'm doing very well. I know you're packing up to uh, move across the country and get ready for grad school. That's uh, that's always fun, man. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to you and your stories of freezing your butt off in the great white north. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, big, big time pack. I'm, I got those air compressed bags that like take all the air out of the bags to create to get as much as possibly packed. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all ready to go. So I'm excited. Right on. Well, you can listen to some podcasts on the drive up there, right? Absolutely. Okay. We have some long interviews set up for you today. We've got some really cool guests, so I won't delay us any further. We're going to jump right into the news. Julius, what is the first tidbit today? So the first thing I got requires uh, your New York Jets. They've splashed it in the news. So, of course, we know Makai Becton is most likely out for the season with the knee injury. They find his replacement right away with Dwayne Brown signing him to a two-year, $22 million contract. The five-time Pro Bowl will most likely replace Becton on the offensive line. So what are your thoughts of the replacement? Because they had met before even the Becton injury happened. Now it's official. Well, after seeing what happened with Becton last year and them being incredibly fortunate to have signed Morgan Moses late in the offseason and he was able to just step right in, I think they realized that this is something that we need to do because if this were to happen again, you know, we're a little bit bare on the back end, on the lower side of the depth chart. So they were already working on that. And now that Becton is going to miss the year, it just made it even more important. It seemed like an obvious necessity after the actual injury happened. So, you know, Salah has a, Robert Sala has a, a relationship with him. I think he was there in Houston when he was drafted back in 2008. I think Sala was gone from Seattle by the time Brown was traded there. But obviously, there's there are coaching relationships between uh, the guys who are still there and Robert Sala as well. So there is familiarity. Uh, I think that probably did help in getting something done. I heard it's a two-year deal, but I haven't really seen many details on it yet. Probably not for a whole heck of a lot, but I do expect him to be a starter for the Jets going forward. And is it what, you know, they wanted? No, but it's definitely better than what else they would have had. I absolutely agree. And, you know, you can't deny a five-time Pro Bowler to step up and take the role that Becton was originally supposed to have. So I think this is a solid addition for the time being, short term, nice and simple. Bucks quarterback Tom Brady will take some time away from the team as he is dealing with personal things. It is expected that he will return for next week's preseason game versus the Titans on August 20th, so we are wishing him the best with whatever he's going on off the field. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is really a negative thing because 
the reports that I read, especially a little while after the initial news dropped, kind of indicated that this may have been something that was more or less planned. And it may have even been planned as far back as when he decided to come back to the team, you know, because his original reason for retiring was to spend more time with the family. And I think he got to spend some time with them in the true off season. And now that they're back in camp, this is really the last chance for the veteran quarterback to go be with his family for a while before the, the, the rigors of the season schedule sets in. So, you know, I know he's hardcore, but Considering his accomplishments, he can probably be just fine without a week of training camp, you know? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, what else does this man have to prove? I mean, especially, you know, for, he's just turned 45 this past week. So as long as the news are all good and he's healthy, he'll obviously be back by that August 20th deadline. Speaking of Tom Brady, a former teammate of his, New England Patriots running back James White announced his retirement after eight NFL seasons. He won three Super Bowls, including the three-touchdown performance in their comeback their comeback win in Super Bowl 51. So that was obviously a big-time moment for James White, and Patriot fans will, of course, never forget that game as well as the Globe because that was obviously one of the biggest choke jobs in sports history, as many people call it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The Patriots fans are just the, the most spoiled bunch in, in <laughs> football history, right? Like it, You say, uh, uh, yeah, that's the Super Bowl that the Patriots won a few years ago. Um, which one? Um, you know, the the one that one where James White went off. Like, you actually have to clarify with something like that, you know? Just makes me laugh. But he ha- he's had a really, really nice career. And I you have to wonder, what kind of career would he have had if he had ended up somewhere other than the Patriots? You know, there's those guys where where you're like, I don't even know if you would have ever been a starter or like a, a major contributor anywhere other than the Patriots, let alone uh, an impact player at times. So they are truly a unique organization. I definitely think the New England Patriots was probably the absolute best fit for him because he was used, especially early in his career before the Super Bowl, he was used for third downs. And he also was a very excellent receiving running back. And in that game, he set multiple Super Bowl records. And after that, that's when his role stepped up to getting more playing action besides on third down scenarios. So moving over, we have tight end Adam Shaheen will not be traded to the Houston Texans after failing his physical. He will stay with the Miami Dolphins. Miami acquired a sixth round pick for the tight end. But of course, with the failed physical, the deal has fallen apart. Yeah, well, they're a little bit loaded up at the tight end position right now. You know, uh, they have their primary receiving tight end in Mike Gusecki, and then they also have their uh, their primary blocking tight end in Durham Smythe. So uh, he was kind of an excess asset, you know. Um, it would have been nice for the Texans to have him, uh, I suppose, but what are you going to do? Do you have any information on what injury it was that caused him to fail the physical? They say it was his knee. Not sure which one, but I just read it was his knee. Gotcha. I'd have to double check on what his injury history is with the knee. You know, this is a trade that might ultimately re-take place in a few weeks if further healing goes on. You know, sometimes you, you think you're good to go and there's something that just looks still a little bit inflamed or something like that. So we'll see. This Don't be surprised if, if this trade happens at a later date. I absolutely agree. And now we're going to get to some small preseason announcements. 
We're going to start off with the Tennessee Titans. They have announced Malik Willis will start in their preseason opener. He was selected in the third round in this past draft, and he will get his first taste of NFL action. Currently, though, he is third in the depth chart behind starter Ryan Tannehill and Logan Woodside. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't have the inner workings of of, uh, the Titans at this moment. Would have to ask Dave about that. But it does suggest to me that he's more like number two than number three in reality. And he's kind of at that number three spot in name only because he's a rookie. You know, a lot of times teams will do that, especially teams that have uh, you know ex-players as coaches like the rookies are automatically towards the bottom of the depth chart even if they're it's pretty much expected that they will have a, a more notable role with the team so the fact that he's getting the start means that to me he's probably like you know truly number two on the depth chart over Woodside I absolutely agree and now we're going to shift to the AFC North since this is the AFC North special We're going to start off with the Cleveland Browns. They have announced Deshaun Watson will start in the preseason opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars. This will be his first time on a gridiron since January 3rd of 2021, and we are all aware, of course, of the news off the field and why he has not played as as Watson and the Browns are still looking forward to hearing the appeal case for his suspension. Yeah, you know, this is, I think this is the number one reason that the NFL is pushing for an indefinite suspension versus a year-long suspension. Because if it's a year-long suspension, as I understand it, he is still eligible to play in all preseason games. He's still eligible to be around the facility in, in various ways, but he can't actually play in the games. Whereas with an indefinite suspension, with the ability to appeal after one year, appeal or uh, apply for reinstatement after one year, that actually clears him completely from the Browns organization. He can't be anywhere on the practice field. He can't do anything with the team. And I think what they really want is distance between Deshaun Watson and anything NFL related. So uh, I think they're right. They're in the process of getting a restraining order or attempting to get a restraining order such that he can't be part of everything until the appeal is complete. Clearly, that has not gone all the way through yet. So I wouldn't be totally surprised if at the last possible minute, news of that drops and he's he's not there. Do, do not be surprised. Especially, you know, it seems like we're always talking about Deshaun Watson. I mean, how many episodes have we done? And in our tibbets, his name is mentioned. But oh, I yeah, also, Almost every single episode. Exactly. But in a way, I am looking forward to seeing him play on Friday. I would like to see if he's still got it. I mean, I'm sure he does. He's got a great talent, led the league in passing yards in 2020 when he was fully playing last time. So now shifting to the Steelers, Mitch Trubisky will start in the Steelers preseason opener. They are also shared that their first-round pick, Kenny Pickett, will be their third-string quarterback. So as of right now, it looks like Mitch is number one with Rudolph number two. Again, it makes sense uh, in in a way that's kind of similar to what we saw with, uh, or what we just mentioned with um, Malik Willis. Although I will say that usually if you're talking about a first round pick, they don't play coy and put you all the way in third. You know what I mean? Usually they'll just take the most notable vet and put, put them in front of you. And there's definitely been, uh, you know, reports that he's struggled a bit in camp. So we'll see. I'm I'm looking forward to him. I got to be honest. I don't really want to see Deshaun Watson play. You know, 
that's just my personal opinion I, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I'd rather just not. And the other thing is, it's just going to hurt Browns fans so much more if he does actually look good. And like the Browns fans don't really deserve that, in my opinion. Like, it just, I, I would enough. say, yeah, look, just hopefully he doesn't play in, and in your mind, you can just say, ah, he wasn't any, any good yet anyway. Like, cause if he lights it up, then you just have to have that in your mind the whole time. So I don't really want to see that, but I do want to see what Kenny Pickett looks like. I really would like to see, you know, what he does probably won't be against many first string players in the, the preseason game, but I'm, I'm curious to see what he looks like in a Steelers uniform. I absolutely agree. Just, you know, not, not too much of a transition from college going from Pittsburgh now to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I would definitely like to see him in the black and gold and see what he brings to the table. And that is all the news I have for you, sir. All right. Thank you so much, Julius. Stay tuned, everybody, because we have some seriously awesome guests coming right up. We're going to start with Quincy Carrier to talk about the Cleveland Browns. Before we do, Julius, please let everybody know where they can find you. On Twitter, you can find me at GotJuice44. That's on Twitter, GotJuice44. You can find me on Gridiron Heroics, Julius Lux. Just look up the name, search it up, read my articles. As well on Facebook, you can just look up Julius Lux, and I am there. Right on. So we won't have Julius for the Monday show coming up because we're going to be doing preseason week one recaps along with a couple other uh, little uh, segments there. But he will be back on Wednesday for another new segment. Thanks, Julius, and we will see you very soon. See you soon. Take care. All right, everybody, I am very excited to have a brand new outside guest to join me to talk about the Cleveland Browns today. We have Quincy Carrier. Quincy has an awesome YouTube channel. It's called Quincy Carrier. You should absolutely check it out if you're a Browns fan. If you don't already know what it is, what are you doing? And honestly, I would check him out if you're not, too, because watching his videos, is the energy is like hanging out, listening to a slow jam that's Browns-themed. So... I don't know. I enjoy it, and I'm not even a Browns fan. Quincy, how are you doing today? Good, man. Even better after that that amazing introduction of me. <laughs> that was that was up there. It's up there. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, look, I I love football, and I love people that do a good job talking about football. So I'm stoked to have you on today. We're going to talk about the Browns 2022 season. There's so much we could dive into. We're going to kind of hit it from a 5,000-foot view just because, you know, we're talking about all the AFC North teams today. But just jumping right into it, the core has largely been in place, right? A lot of their best players have already been on the team for a few different years. But I got to ask you, who would you say are the two biggest offseason additions this year? Ooh, for this year? Yeah, 2022. Um, yeah, see that that's where it gets complicated, right? Because we don't really know <laughs> what the status of of probably the biggest uh, accus- acquisition on the team. Um, but let's just assume we live in an indefinite suspension world, right? It's going to be Amari Cooper. He's going to be a big impact because this is one of the worst wide receiving units last year. Now, I think some of that had to do with uh, the reason why they brought in uh, the guy who might be indefinitely <laughs> suspended for a year. But that's also a whole nother topic. And then also, you know, when, when you look at it, Cade York, the kicker, might be one of the bigger um, 
jumps for this team because they were awful um, at kicking the ball. They were awful at all their special teams. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's something that I think is going to be real helpful when we talk about this team's ability to just put points on the board. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the Browns had talent there. It didn't quite come together. They decided to you know, reinvest at the wide receiver position. You know, I, it was funny because early on, there was all this chatter about how should we really go for Amari Cooper? He's so expensive and the Cowboys, they don't want to pay him, but like they don't want to uh, take on some of his salary. And nobody wanted to do it except for the Browns. Then you jump ahead like four or five weeks and everyone's like, wow, maybe we should have done that because <laughs> now 20 million a year is actually not bad for a quality wide receiver. So that that is a big one, no doubt about it. And look, in the most brief possible way, I will mention that like I, I thoroughly expect Deshaun Watson to have an indefinite suspension and probably be reinstated after one year. So it'll be effectively one year while called indefinite. And we can talk about that another time in greater detail, but that is what I expect. So I, I think you're, you're right about that. Now let's hone in on the offense in particular. They've got a ton of really, really good players. You know, they have awesome skill players. They reinvested at wide receiver. They've had a dominant offensive line. But if you had to pick one strength that guides this team this year, what would you say that is offensively? Oh, it's definitely going to be this offensive line, right? That's that's the ideal that, hey, the reason you could withstand not having a all-pro quarterback in there and maybe just having a guy like a Jacoby Bursett, who is, you know, more of a game manager, is because of the strength of this offensive line. Um, it's elevated quarterback play before. They don't really have to do much to elevate the run game because you have such tremendous depth and personnel in that area. Um, but when you add that with, you know, you have two of the best scars in football in Joe Batoni on Wyatt Teller, um, Jedrick Wills, who's going into his third year. That's when the offensive linemen make that jump. You have to look no further than the right guard of this team, Wyatt Teller, who was traded for a fifth-round pick unceremoniously by the <laughs> Buffalo Bills um, in his second year. Year three comes around. He's the best guard in football, right? Like, that third year does something for offensive linemen. And you'll hear Bill Callahan, the offensive line coach for the Browns, talk about that all the time. They're expecting a jump from Jedrick Wills, who's already been solid to be, you know, reach his potential or come close to it this year. And then, you know, Jack Conklin, he's really good too. So this offensive line allows them to have flexibility at the quarterback position um, and to be able to play this. I know a lot of people point to, hey, the quarterback position is everything, and it is. But you can get away with less if you have more right in front of the quarterback, and that's where the offensive line is going to help you out. Yeah, look, and if, if I have faith in anybody to develop those offensive linemen, it's definitely Callahan. He is an absolute stud at what he does. I had Kyron Samuels on the other day, and he is uh, an ex-D1 offensive lineman, and he also played in Arena Football League, and he was talking about – we were talking about offensive lines, and, and we definitely agree with you that that is a big-time unit in the NFL. So if there was going to be something that was going to limit this offense a little bit, what would that be in your opinion? Well, it's going to be the quarterback position, right? Like, that that's ultimately be going to be what limits it, right? We know the wide receiver personnel outside of Amari Cooper is not great. Um, Jakeem Grant just went down what for what we believe to be the year um, with an Achilles-type injury or what we 
people think is an Achilles injury. So that's not good. Um, and they don't really have much depth. I mean, when we're talking about Jakeem Grant playing a significant role, that tells you that the depth isn't necessarily top tier yeah. league level there, right? So there is that problem um, with the wide receiver depth. But I really think it's going to come into play at quarterback where, look, if Jacoby, the plan's going to be throw the ball 20 to 30 times a game and just hope we can get away with it. Um, and that could work. And that does work a lot of the time. Um, I mean, there are other quarterbacks whose whole career is kind of based off of that kind of limitation being set on them and having good supporting cast. I'll let the audience put together who they think I'm talking about in that sentence. <laughs> but, you know, I don't want anybody's quarterback stands coming after me. Uh, but, yeah, there, there is that. But when it comes to the position itself, yeah, are the Browns get in a situation like when they got with Justin Herbert last year, Baker Mayfield would have been a more capable person to throw the ball 50 times in a shootout than Jacoby Brissett. We know this based <laughs> on their career. But yeah. where ja where Jacoby might be more qualified is in the bulk of the situations that the Browns were in last year where they were in one-point games with scores under 20 points. And that where you need somebody to just not turn the ball over as much or just get the two yards or, or make the safe decision at the quarterback position. That's where they have more confidence in uh, Jacoby than Baker. And that's why I think they feel like they'll ultimately have more wins this year despite the peak of the quarterback play talent, right? When Baker's peak is significantly higher than Jacoby's peak, mm -hmm. but they feel like the consistency is going to be something that helps them um, down the line. Yeah, a super, super streaky player. Baker is, you know, and sometimes if you're a really, really good team, you'd rather have that mid-level guy that just holds the fort instead of the guy that, that you know, might show out one week and then lose you a game the next week. So I, I totally get that. Let's jump over to the defensive side. Now, a lot of times I, I talk to guys coming on to cover each individual team, and it's obvious on one side of the ball, there's significant strength on the other side. You're really looking for a strength. You got to try and pull something out of there. Not with the Browns, man. They are <laughs> as good, if not better, on the defensive side of the ball. So what would you say is the strength of the defense if you had to pick one out? I mean, the strength of the defense is ultimately going to be their best player, and that is Miles Garrett, right? Like that, that, whenever you have a guy like that, having that player is the strength of the defense. But if we're talking about the best unit on this team, this secondary has the potential to be insane. Um, we know that Denzel Ward is really good at playing corner. We know that Greg Newsom is really good at playing corner based on what they've already done in the NFL. Greedy Williams is somebody who could start for a lot of teams, not going to start for the Browns fighting for the fourth spot with another guy who could start in a lot of teams and AJ green, the third. Um, and then they have Martin Emerson, who's been having a pretty good camp as well. I mean, we're talking about five corners and I'm not even involving like safeties or anything else. Right. Then you have Ronnie Harrison, who's a really solid, you know, he was a starter for a long time out there in Jacksonville, still very young. Um, still very useful. Um, John Johnson has been having an excellent camp so far, and he was one of the best safeties in football when he was on the Rams. He had a bit of a dip at the beginning of last year, but things really seemed to carry over at the end of last year, and it looks like that's carrying over into this year. And then Grant Delpit, I think he's the ultimate Exodia piece, if anybody watched <laughs> video back in the day, of this whole thing, because 
I don't know if people forget, but Grant Delpit, I mean, you talk about a, a safety, like he was supposed to be the next safety that was drafted in the top five if it weren't for his foot injury in 2019. Um, people were comparing him to Ed Reed, his athletic ability, his size, and it looks like he got all that back after the Achilles injury. Didn't look like that took anything away from him. Now it's all about, is he going to be the player mentally that we need Grant Delpit to be to trust him with a lot of space? Because then you can just smother teams with that kind of flexibility with all of those DBs that I mentioned. And remember, Joe Woods is a former DB coach. He believes in this 4-2-5, um, and they're going to be running a bunch of DBs out there. So that's kind of what the Browns want to run, and they have the personnel to do it. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that works in the traditionally, you know, in AFC North, usually it's a 3-4, right? You want to have five people on the line of scrimmage. Browns might be running out there at times with three guys on the line of scrimmage and has have the back end loaded. So it's going to be an interesting look for this team. It's going to be a different approach than I think Browns fans have seen in the past when it comes to how this personnel is stacked up. But that's secondary. I mean, it is for real. And it's hard to gauge at camp because it's not like we have the most impressive wide receiver unit in the world. I think once we get the joint practices and they go up against the Eagles and we see them against like a Devonta Smith and stuff like that, we'll really, really get a gauge for that um, because they have what AJ Brown and Devonta Smith now over there in Philadelphia. Yep. So you'll really get a gauge for how good these corners are once we see them against them. But from everything that I've seen and everything that we've seen against with some of these guys in the NFL already, I mean, A.J. Green, really good in 200 snaps last year. This is a secondary that could be one of the, I mean, they're, they're talking about moving Grant, I mean, not Grant, Greg Newsom to the inside and slot. That is a luxury you can only do with a player at that level when you feel like you just got it all. I mean, the only other team that comes close to having that level of luxury is the Rams when they do it with Jalen Ramsey. So you're at that level of depth. It is an impressive unit that you have on defense yeah you know i could start listing off all of the different ways that they could use them but to keep it simple they have the personnel to run literally any type of coverage they want and move guys all over the place and i think martin emerson was a nice pick because it does allow you to put a very physically talented player on the interior and the more that we see these power slots these number one wide receivers operating out of the slot the better you got to be at coverage there. So it, it makes a lot of sense. I feel like they're ahead of the curve in so many ways. Real quick, defensively, if there is a weakness, what do you think it is? If there, you know, let's say there's an injury here or there, like not, nothing crazy, but just so that they're not quite so loaded, what do you think might be the holdback for the defense? The one thing I can see being a holdback is the defensive line depth, right? Because if, Clowney's out there and Miles is out there. They don't really have much proven in between those guys in the interior. I think you'll get away mm -hmm. with it, though, because teams aren't going to want to willingly put the ball that close to Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney 20, 30 times a game, right? Like, teams aren't mm -hmm. going to run the ball down your throat just because of the personnel that you have on the line of scrimmage. But, you know, this is the defensive line we're talking about. It's not offensive line where these guys play every snap. These guys play probably at best 60, 70 percent of the snaps a game. So there's 30 percent where, you know, it's going to be Alex Wright out there. It's going to be Chase Winovich out there. It's going to be I don't mm -hmm. even know who the backups are <laughs> compared to the starters in the Browns interior defensive tackle room. Um, it's probably going to be Perrion and Taven Bryant, but I have no clue. Nobody has any clue. It's a I mean, you talk about open competition. 
anybody could start for this team right now um, at defensive tackle. And it's not necessarily a good thing, right? Um, so there is those questions on the defensive line. But again, as long as you have a healthy Miles and a healthy Jadavion, it's not too giant of a concern just because that personnel is so strong that I don't think people are really going to want to test that weakness because it, it comes with a significant risk. And I think that's the gamble that the Cleveland Browns have went with, right? You can't have a, a you can't be loaded at every position in the NFL. You have to make some sacrifices here and there. And their bet is, hey, I don't think teams are going to want to let Miles Garrett make plays um, or put him in position to make plays more than they would rather just drop back and throw the ball. Like, I think that's probably going to be the juxtaposition a lot of teams are on. Yeah, so look, to close it out, I'm going to ask you what your prediction is for the year. And because there are so many questions, I'm going to make it very simple for you. Just because I think that it's the most likely outcome, let's assume Deshaun Watson doesn't play this year for the Browns at all. In that case, what do you expect to be the overall record and final outcome for the season? You know what's interesting? I don't... I think there's a large difference between the level of quarterback play you get from Deshaun Watson and Jacoby Brissett. Like, let me make that clear. But I don't think the <laughs> range of wins and losses is that much different than the, the original six-game suspension you would have had than if Jacoby Brissett plays the whole year. Um, I think, ultimately, this team's floor with Watson was probably nine wins, um, and their floor without him is probably eight wins, right? Um, because you have to remember, they had the 27th worst quarterback play last year in, in Baker Mayfield. 30th, if you listen to pro football folks. I mean, he was almost like back up back. <laughs> um, so you're not, you're hoping that Jacoby Brissett is either that or better. And if he's either that or better, eight wins is the floor, as we saw last year. I mean, the Browns played as bad as they could have on offense last year, and they still won those eight games. Um, and they weren't a very lucky team, right, when you look at some of those metrics out there. And that's why I think the floor is still eight games with Jacoby. I think the ceiling with Jacoby is probably 10 wins. I felt like the ceiling with Deshaun, just probability-wise, knowing he's going to have some bad games um, to coming to coming off of this whole thing, was 11, right? It, it, it feels like when we talk about it, like people are going, the Browns going to be like a six-win team to like a 12-win team based on Deshaun Watson plays or not. I think the reality of it was that Deshaun wasn't going to get full reins of this offense no matter what until after the bye, even if the suspension was six weeks. So I don't yeah. think the difference is going to be that severe um, when it comes to the regular season. Where Deshaun Watson would have made a difference for this team is the postseason. That's where it changes, right? Your ceiling is absolutely, if you get to the divisional round with Jacoby Brissett, you are happy with however you got to the divisional round with Jacoby Brissett, and that season is a success. If your season ended with Deshaun Watson at the divisional round, some changes are going to be made, not from the coaching staff, but definitely on the personnel side because you don't feel like you have enough to get to where you need to. So that's where I feel like the difference is. I think ultimately this team's going to be contending for a playoff spot. Like, this is a good enough team. There's so much on this team. Um, good coaching, Kevin Stefanski, former coach of the year, you have a really good defense. You have really, really good personnel on, on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive line. They're too good of a football team to just be terrible. I've seen what terrible looks like, right? As a Browns fan, I've watched plenty of 6-10, and 4-12, and 12, 
three and 13 seasons. I know when I look at a roster, when I see less than eight wins on the team, this is not a less than eight win team, no matter who's at quarterback. I mean, okay, maybe if Josh Dobbs is back there or, or if, no, not even Josh Dobbs. If it's Josh Rosen from what I've seen at camp. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Put the, go take the under, right? Take the under at that point. But if it is Jacoby Brissett for the whole year, then I think that's fine. Um, and you'll still be in contention and you'll still have a chance to play some meaningful football this year. Um, but, you know, it's not a guarantee. Could be wrong on that, but I, I, I really don't think that the read is that much different from what the potential win-loss record would have been um, in a world where he got the original six, which he's not going to get anymore, um, and in a world where he gets what might be probable is the indefinite suspension. At this point, I'm, I'm be honest with you. I played Twitter lawyer long enough. I, I'm just over trying to predict it. I'll let them know when I know about whatever the suspension is going to be. I just kind of want this to be over with. So whatever it is, it is. Um, but yeah, I think the difference from the win loss record is not going to be as dramatic dramatic as people would think in a regular season. I don't think the Browns were winning 12 games this year, regardless of it, how many games Watson played, unless he like got the whole season and just showed up not rusty or something like that. Then that changes nice. things. But as long as he was going to get suspended, he 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 was you weren't going to win 12. You were probably going to win around 11 if you were lucky to 9 if you were very unlucky. Yeah, I I'm I'm with you. So I think you know whatever number you want to pick out of the air, the truth is is that they're a better team without him than people want to make out and they're probably not quite as good of a team with him as people want to make out. I mean, you any time you've ever pointed to an all-star team there's never a 15 16 win team like people want to make it make it out like it's going to be so i totally agree with you quincy it's been a pleasure i really do appreciate having you on the show Uh, why don't you give everybody your socials your channel one more time so they know where to find you yeah find me on twitter at kwen underscore c you can find me on youtube honestly just put the search bar q-u-i-n-c-y space c-a-r-r-i-e-r just use my name I'll pop up. Also have a show if you're interested in the AFC North, because I know this is your AFC North edition. Um, check out AFC North Talk. It's a podcast that I do with three of my friends, all friends of the different AFC North teams. So you get perspectives from the Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, and Browns. Um, and we all come together and we we do this. It's, it's, it's a uh, painful thing that we do to each other. After every week, no matter what happens, <laughs> we got to see our enemy. Um, and talk about whatever happened that week. And there has been some bad seasons to do that. We've done this pod, and there have been some great seasons to do that. So it's always fun. Um, somebody's always having a good day. Somebody's always having a bad day. And it's just that kind of uh, uh, fun rivalry talk with also layered and deep football analysis on top of that. So, you know, if that sounds something interesting to you, check out AFC North Talk. Um, we're probably going to be live this Thursday. So that's going to be fun. Beautiful. All right, guys, you know where to find him. Go check him out. Once again, Quincy, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you on here again real soon. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right. I am very excited to welcome two guests for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, one you already know, but another is brand new to the show. First off, we have Ryan Splash Potts. He is the content czar for U Stadium, which is a social sports app, which you can check out, get on, talk to other sports fans. And he also has his own YouTube channel called Splash Rants, where, you know, 
He rants about sports. So, Splash, how you doing today? Uh, today's a good day. Uh, when we're recording August 11th, the Ravens play tonight, so I'm excited to see them potentially win play uh, preseason game 21 in a row. So, go Ravens. <laughs> and we have Dave Guberman. Dave covers the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans for gridironheroics.com. So he has a, a unique perspective on the upcoming preseason game. Now, if you have been following along with us since the very first episode, Dave was on to uh, premiere the show, but he's back to talk Ravens. How are we doing, Dave? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Max. Thanks for having me again. Um, and kind of like Splash was saying, I'm super excited for the game tonight. Um, I'm actually going to be going to the game tonight. Um, so I'm going to be watching up close and personal, even though I'm in Baltimore, I will be wearing my full gear of Titan two-tone blue. So <laughs> hopefully the home fans don't get too upset. Well, it's just preseason. So let's, let's have a little faith in humanity, but you know what? It's yes. football. So who the heck knows? <laughs> All right, guys, we got plenty of Ravens to talk about today. So let's get right into it. Now, Splash, I'm coming to you first. The Ravens had an unfortunate season last year. They're definitely a good team. They were riddled with injuries. It didn't go exactly how they planned, and they reloaded a bit. They added a fair number of players. So if you were to give me one player who you believe is the most impactful for 2022 in particular, who would that be? I definitely have to go with Marcus Williams. The I know he's the kind of cop-out answer, the, the big money move in free agency from the New Orleans Saints. But you look at the history of the Ravens, and when they've been at their best, they have an elite free safety, all-pro caliber free safety. Uh, the 2000 defense was anchored by Rod Woodson, all-pro caliber safety, for a decade and a half. Ed Reed, all-pro, all all-world safety. Earl Thomas on the 14-2 and two team back in 2019. Pro Bowl safety, got some all-pro consideration. Marcus Williams is just the next evolution of that. He is just a tremendous cover player. I know people are going to point out the Minneapolis miracle, but that's one play. I'm not going to rag on Calvin Johnson for the one pass he dropped. You know, I'm <laughs> 75 gazillion touchdowns he caught otherwise. So I think Williams is going to unlock something special with this unit that the last few years they've had two strong safeties, essentially. So Deshaun Elliott, he's in Detroit now. Great player, but he's more of a strong safety. Chuck Clark, great player, but he's definitely a strong safety. And Marcus Williams just makes is going to make life a lot easier for Peters, Humphrey, the other corners, the other safeties he plays with, and the entire defense just with his range, his coverability, and hopefully his tackling has improved. <laughs> yeah, you know, anytime you are looking at a player that most uh, significantly impacts a team in the first year, it's not a surprise that you would go to free agent, right? They have experience, kind of know what to expect from them a little bit more. You know, rookies definitely do make significant impacts, but it's a little bit probably more reliable to pick the free agent in that. And yeah, I, I think much like the majority of the hardcore football world, we're all very interested to see how they utilize that secondary, you know, and all of the additions that they've made to it, the guys that are coming back from injury. So Dave, what about you? Again, there's definitely some more players to choose from. If you had to give me one other player who was going to be the most impactful this season, who would you select? So, as you said, so since Splash went the free agent route, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to a uh, a player that they had on the roster last season. But I do agree with Splash that their back end, which was a huge weakness last year, 
um, partly based on a lot of injuries with Humphreys um, and Peters going down early in the year. I know that they're looking to have a much better and much more opportunistic defense and back end this year. I know that Harbaugh's already talked about ways of getting three safeties on the field with Chuck Clark, uh, Marcus Williams, and their first round pick Kyle Hamilton out of Notre, Notre Dame. But I'm going to go with Rashad Bateman. I think that um, he's kind of the guy who kind of has to pick up the slack, especially after losing Hollywood Brown, um, who they traded to Arizona in the offseason. Um, I think that one of Lamar's weaknesses, um, especially last year, was kind of facing that cover zero blitz and facing a lot of pressure. Um, and so when he doesn't have time to extend the plays, he actually, um, the Ravens allowed more sacks last year than they've allowed in their franchise's history. Um, so I know that they've addressed that with their O-line. And I know that Bateman's route running and his strong hands are going to be kind of the perfect counter to a lot of those zero blitz looks. So I think that kind of him and his kind of evolution in their passing game, I think will kind of dictate a big portion of kind of how their season plays out. Yeah, you know, I think you could probably justify him as a, an offseason acquisition just because he played relatively limitedly last year due to injury, you know, and so he's he's a second year player, but I feel like this is probably the first year that he's going to have a real impact on the team. And I absolutely agree that he is going to be one of the number one beaters for blitz scenarios. I mean, he's able to separate very quickly. He has long arms and strong hands. So even if he doesn't separate, he can catch in traffic. I think that skill set is going to work very well. Now, let's hone in on the offense in particular. We, we have a team that has a number of skill players that are either coming back from injury, developing into the second year. There's a few guys that are definitely established already. Um, and the offensive line has seen a little bit of transition as well. So I'm coming to you first, Splash. If you were to give me the one aspect of the offense, whether it's a unit or a phase of the game, what do you think will hold this team up and make it a potentially dominant offense again? So one thing you look at with the 2019 and 2020 teams is that they averaged 5.53 yards per carry. Not only is that the best in the NFL those two seasons, it's the best in the history of the sport. So they had historic rushing game, historic rushing game. How do they get back to that? Well, they have speed on the perimeter with J.K. Dobbins returning, who's just off the pup list. And the difference between Dobbins and replacement level backs like last year's Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray, is that Dobbins has that extra gear. You know, coming out of Ohio State, he was kind of compared to a less hyped up Ezekiel Elliott, and he just runs with incredible juice, and he can break the big run, Ask Cincinnati. And that is going to be to me, the difference between a good rushing attack like the Ravens had last year and an all-time caliber one. We know Lamar has the elusiveness, the speed, the intangibles, what have you. But having Dobbins, having that extra threat of like a lightning bolt on the outside, because the Ravens do like to run a bit of inverted veer with Lamar threatening the defense between the tackles and then the running back threatening outside the tackles. Devontae Freeman didn't have the speed to get to the edge. Um, Le'Veon Bell didn't have the speed to get to the edge. Latavius Murray didn't have the speed to get to the edge. J.K. Dobbins does. And Gus Edwards, when he returns from his ACL injury, also has the speed and the power to break these big runs. And that's what turns the Ravens' rushing offense into a comparable 
comparable to a passing offense in terms of efficiency. Back in 2019, if the rushing offense was ranked as a passing offense, they would have been eighth in expected points added per play. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty crazy setup that they have. And as great as Lamar is at rushing the football, and as much of a as a threat, as much of a threat as he is, you do need someone to ensure that he's just not getting pounded by defensive tackles and linebackers. You know, he stayed healthy for the most part, but that's always a risk when you have a player like him. All right, Dave, I'm going to make you go a little bit negative here. On the offensive side, what do you think could hold the offense back if perhaps their running game isn't as dominant as it was? Um, so, yeah, kind of like what Splash was saying, the, the Ravens the past several years, the run game has been their game. Like they have designed and tailored their playbook and their scheme to suit Lamar and to suit his skill set. Right. So I think kind of last season, um, I mean, if you look at the numbers. Last season was the first season the Ravens actually threw the ball more than they ran the ball since Lamar has been the starting quarterback. And part of that is because of the all the injuries they suffered to Dobbins, Edwards got hurt. So as kind of Splash was saying, they kind of had to make do with all these aging running backs who kind of who all had their best years kind of in their rear view. So I think that that kind of led to them getting down in plenty of games. Kind of Lamar kind of had to lead multiple double digit comebacks in, in the first half of last season. So I think that that's just not a recipe for success for the Ravens. I mean, everyone's looking for Lamar. I mean, I hate to be the to to pile on knowing how great Lamar is and how deserving of kind of this two hundred million dollar contract that he still has yet to get, which kind of puts some more pressure and uncertainty around the Ravens season. But I mean, it really is his development as a passer and his ability to, to kind of be more consistent throwing outside the numbers and throwing on clear, obvious passing downs like third and long. I think all those things he's going to have to do better at. He was only 23rd in the league in passer rating last year, and he actually threw more interceptions last year than he has his whole career. And that's even with missing the last uh, four or five games of the year. He still had the most picks of his career. So those, those need to get better. Those need to go down. I think a more consistent run game will kind of be Lamar's best friend and, and help those interception numbers for sure to go down. But I think he needs to be more consistent throwing outside the numbers and throwing on known passing downs because those are the ways that they're going to have to win in the playoffs um, against these top-tier teams, which I think has always been the balance of running and and winning games in the regular season but still preparing Lamar and kind of having him evolve as a passer because more is going to be required to win in the postseason yeah you know I think there are certain types of passes where Lamar is absolutely elite at and I think you know especially when you go back to his MVP season his ability to create throwing lanes for himself are it's that was absolutely elite like unbelievable, like just what he could do to instantly move himself just a little bit in any particular direction to create a throwing lane was incredible. And so when that's working, he's basically unstoppable. But the issue is if he doesn't, if he's got too many guys around him, if he can't create those throwing lanes for himself, passing with different 
trajectory points on the ball to outside the numbers to different parts of the field. It's, it's, I don't want to say he's bad at it, but it's not, it's not what makes him elite. That's for sure. So if he can work on that part of his game, I do think that the Ravens will be a top tier offense more likely than not. And they might be anyway, just from the running game. All right, let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Now splash. I'm also going to make you go a little bit negative on the show. The defense, it's had a fair amount of uh, uh, injuries last year. They have a few new players. We already commented on one of them. What would you say could potentially hold this defense back from being the great Ravens defense that we've come to expect? One thing I look at with the defense is the talent is there, even in the edge room, which is one of the weaker units across the league. But my concern is that edge rotation is, again, not particularly deep. I love Owe. I think he's going to have seven, eight, nine, ten sacks, 60 pressures, something along those lines. But you look at the rest of the unit and Tyus Bowser, he's recovering from an Achilles injury suffered in the Steelers game at the end of last season. David Ajabo, second round pick. He's coming off an Achilles injury suffered his pro day. Justin Houston is a <clears throat> bit of a gun for hire type at this point. Cheap, cheap contract. Um, was not super productive last season. Um, even the interior, Travis Jones, um, Michael Pierce, Calais Campbell, they all project as more run stuffers than productive pass rushers. Um, so you're just going to run into a case of either OA and Houston are going to have to play a lot of snaps, or you're going to need someone, uh, Ojabo, to recover quickly, a Bowser to recover quickly, or you're going to need some extra juice in that edge room, in that pass rush room, because, you know, the talent might be there, but it's a, a thin veneer of talent that if you're rotating guys in and out, which the Ravens are known to do and you have to do to keep people fresh, you're going to have um, personnel that you're just going to be able to throw the ball on for, for days because they're not producing pressure. They're not, you know, pu pushing the pocket. They are not threatening the quarterback. You might have some snaps that Owe gets a quick pressure or Bowser or whomever, but I think those are going to be few and far between, and this is what causes a lot of trouble. The Ravens last year were among the league leaders in allowing explosive plays, 50 yards, 40 yards, 30 yards, you name it. They were probably very bad at it, um, and a lot of that stems from the pass rush and being unable to get quick wins. Yeah, you know, I mean, ever since Nada and Suggs were kind of phased out as their careers wrapped up, the Ravens haven't really had a ferocious four-man pass rush, and they've gotten by with that with excellent coverage and blitz packages. But then last year, the lacking in coverage kind of limited what they were able to effectively do with their blitz packages, and we saw what happened. Now, hopefully that back end stays a little more healthy, but I do agree with you that uh, a legit depth for four-man pass rushing situations is probably not the strength of the team. All right, Dave. Now, if we do see the Ravens get back to the defense that we've come to know and respect, what do you think would carry that? Um, I mean, kind of like what we were talking about in our in our previous discussion. Um, they're really gonna they're really gonna lean on their their back end. They're really gonna lean on their secondary to cover to to cover for six, seven, eight seconds. I know they're relying on a lot of young guys and Splash was kind of listing some of the guys up front that they're going to be relying on or kind of relying to take the next step. I think that that Matabuke and Broderick Washington, I think, are two guys who 
um, are going to have to take the next step and kind of be um, more consistent and be kind of be more consistent contributors on the D line. But I think everything with them goes back to their secondary. I think what they've done in the off season um, kind of shows how important addressing that was, even outside of the injuries that they're going to get back in in Humphrey and Peters. So I think that they they um, and, and adding a guy like Kyle Fuller as well as another corner. I think that their secondary is really going to be expected to hold down the fort and hold down the defense. Um, I know that they're that they're angry from last year where Joe Burrow was thrown for 500 yards on them in both both their matchups um, that were both losses for the Ravens. So I know that they're looking to to fix that and kind of completely turn change that in terms of what happened last year to this year. Yeah, look, I mean, from top to bottom, that is one of the deepest secondaries in all of football. So I think it will be just a question of can they, can some of those guys be truly elite? Like, can we see Marlon Humphrey be as good as we've seen him be? Or is he just going to be good, right? Because the depth is great. But if you've got that one guy who truly is shut down, I think that could be the makings of an incredible defense. So let's look at the outcome for the season. And keep it short, keep it simple. Basically, lay on me what you think the season record will be. And if they do make the playoffs, what do you think will happen once they get there? Splash? Um, I do think the Ravens will win double-digit games, probably 10 or 11. Um, getting more than 11 is going to be tough in a loaded AFC. But as we saw last year, they went 8-9, and nine, um, even with everything possible going wrong, losing all of their All-Pros um, from 2019 besides Justin Tucker. Um and this year you're back. If, if Ronnie Stanley plays as a competent left tackle, Peters, Humphrey, they're back as competent players. Um, very loaded roster, and they can win 10 games. Um, assuming they make the playoffs, they are a weird team to project because historically, the last few years in the Lamar era, they get behind early in playoff games and they can't come back. Well, there's also a possibility that they force an early turnover and go up 10 nothing. And I don't know how many other teams can just come back from down 10 nothing with the the rushing ability and how they can put it, put games away like that. So I think it's almost a small sample size with the playoff lack of success. And if they were in, let's say, NBA world and had seven game series, they're probably beating, say, the Titans or Chargers over a longer stretch of just one game. So there's some potential there. So watch out. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some, uh, uh, perhaps a little bit of tension from a couple of years ago for the preseason game today. So watch out. All right, Dave, what about you? What what do you project for their long-term season? Okay, well, first off, um, just to address Splash, um, yeah, so n- knowing that this isn't uh, the NBA playoffs, um, basically what, what's, what you're saying, Splash, is that uh, in the playoffs, in a one-game sample, pretty much anything can happen, right? So, I mean, yeah, and that's kind of how the NFL works and why it's so entertaining and captivating. Um, once you get to the playoffs, everything you've done up, to the, up until that point really doesn't matter. Um, why we've seen so many wildcard teams go on to win, win the Super Bowl. So, okay, back to the Ravens' schedule. So I looked at this really diligently. I wanted to make sure I knew everybody who they were playing. So they're playing the NFC South with the Bucks, the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers. And they're playing the AFC East. So that's the Bills, the Patriots, the Dolphins, and your Jets, Max. Um, So outside of those, they also play the Broncos 
and then the Giants and the Jaguars. So their schedule is not too hard. They, they do play in a tough division. Um, and I think I gave them a couple losses to the Bucks and the Saints, but I still have them right around where, where Splash is. I think I have them on that 11 win mark. Um, so I probably would say also 10 or 11 wins for the Ravens. I really have it as a two two team race for the AFC North title. Um, I really think it's between the Ravens and the Bengals, especially with the Sean Watson suspension likely to be 12, if not 16 games. Um, so he's probably out for the full, for the full season. So I really have it between the Bengals and the Ravens. So assuming they win the division with 11 wins, um, then they would be one of the top four seeds and kind of like what we were saying before. They might force a turnover, get up, and go on to win a game. They might get down 28-6 to like they did two years ago in Baltimore against the Titans. You never know. You never know (laughs) what can happen. Um, So, yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. But if if Lamar does kind of exercise his demons from years past and kind of help the Ravens get to the Super Bowl, I think that would change kind of a lot of the narrative around Lamar and kind of the uh, a lot of the bashing that he's been getting, especially in the media. Yeah, you know, I think that that encompasses it all pretty well. They're going to be a good team. We do expect we expect them to be consistently, uh, you know, dominant in certain aspects of the game, such that they win probably double digits, go to the playoffs, and then from there, who the heck knows? But I agree with you, man. Uh, there's nothing like playoff NFL football. I mean. The win and go home nature of the game, the the way that one play can change your perspective on what's going to happen so instantly, it's the most fun sport to watch for me, hands down. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I want to let everybody know where they can find you, whether it's your social media, your various outlets. So Splash, hit the listeners with where they can find you. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Splashman19. Uh, check me out Instagram and TikTok at Splash Rants. Um, I run the YouTube channel Splash Rants as well. And I'm always chilling on the Youth Stadium app and trying to make some money. <laughs> right on. And Dave, tell everybody where you are. So, yeah, anybody who wants to kind of look me up, feel free to find me on Twitter as well. Uh, it's at Dave Guberman. And then if you want to find me on TikTok or Instagram as well, that's uh, at D.A. Guberm, which is D-A-G-U-B-E-R-M. Right on, guys. Thanks again, and we will see you both very soon. Thanks, Max. Appreciate it. All right, I am very excited to introduce another brand new guest, writer for Gridiron Heroics, covering the Pittsburgh Steelers and the University of North Carolina. We have Nick Sheets. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing good. Thank you for having me, Max. I'm very excited to discuss some football today. Absolutely. All right, Steelers. Steelers Nation is a big one, so we're talking to a lot of people right now, man. I'm glad to have you and just get to the nitty gritty of the black and yellow or the black and gold. You know, that's one thing Steelers Nation, you kind of referred to yourself as black and gold from what I remember. And then ever since uh, ever since that song came out, it's been black and yellow. Correct me on that. What is it that Steelers fans refer to themselves as now? Well, I come from a long line of Steelers fans, so I'm still with the uh, black and gold. 
but the terrible <laughs> towels that they wave out there sure seem pretty yellow. <laughs> so the Pittsburgh Steelers are in a bit of a transition, right? They've had their GM forever, their head coach for a long time. Kevin Colbert retires after the draft. So this doesn't really have his fingerprints on it, uh, Omar Khan's fingerprints on it quite as much, but you know he had a hand in setting everything up. You know that they wanted to go with him from the get-go, even if they didn't announce it. They have a new quarterback, right? They have a few new pieces, but a lot of the defense is a holdover, you know, a lot of their biggest names. If you were going to say two key additions or new pieces for the 2022 season, what do you think they would be? Right. So we'll start on the offense. As long as I've been a Steelers fan, there's really never been a quarterback battle or even a question mark at quarterback. It's been Big Ben. So I go, the key addition is pretty much the entire quarterback room with <laughs> yeah. first round pick Kenny Pickett and signee Mitch Trubisky. And so there's been somewhat of a uh, little bit of a quarterback battle if you've been following. But it seems like Mitch leads the race right now, but Kenny Pickett's sure in there. And then Mason Rudolph has been in the system for, I think, four years now. And he's impressed in training camp. And while he wouldn't be my favorite, he's still in there. And he's got Tomlin's trust. So I think for this offense to really declare a starter by the end of training camp and maybe two preseason games or so, and just to get someone in the helm where the team can rally around would be big. And then if they can step up and maybe give them a little more athleticism than Ben did in his last two years, that would be huge for this offense to take the next step, especially behind a questionable offensive line. And then on the defensive side of the ball, there's been a number of additions, but I think the biggest one for me would be Miles Jack in the middle uh, middle linebacker. And Devin Bush last year, former first-round pick, had a shaky year coming off an ACL injury, and he just seemed a little bit hesitant and a little bit slow. And the Steelers sunk to the 32nd run defense which for Steelers Nation we know is unacceptable. So I think if Miles Jack can get in there, and with his speed and with his really low whiff rate, he had a 3.6 whiff rate last year, which is the second lowest in the whole NFL. So if he can get in there and clean up some of that and maybe help teach Devin Bush along with Brian Flores, that linebacker coach, that could really help the run defense for the Steelers. Yeah, well, like you said, it's been Big Ben forever, you know. It's been Big Ben since I've been a fan of the NFL as well. And to see them move to anybody outside of him is uh it's it's kind of a weird feeling, you know. It it's akin to Brady moving on and and you know at least they have a little bit more of a immediate vision than they did. Uh, I don't think there's been any other quite like it for me, you know, because with uh, with Manning, uh, Peyton Manning, luck was just there, and he kind of just took over everything. So it was a little weird, but I don't think, you know, it, luck claimed the team pretty quickly, you know. And then if you look at the Giants, they drafted their quarterback, and so he was like, Eli Manning was even still part of that team when, uh, when while Daniel Jones was there for a little while. Is the, not the smoothest transition took place, but it did. But the Steelers, it's like, Ben is gone. Kenny Pickett isn't this this no doubt draft pick taking first overall generational talent. So it's like just that, that lack of 
of, of knowing 100% is very, very weird coming from Steelers camp. We'll see what, what happens with the quarterback position. We'll see how it shakes out. You know, they truly are, I believe, an organization that will go with whoever plays the best in camp. They're not going to be that organization that kind of forces the rookie in there just because they took him in the first round. You know, a lot of others, I would be pretty confident saying, look, you know, we know who's going to really start by the end of this thing. Steelers, not so sure. And then defensively, it's they're such a talented defense. It is kind of surprising that that was their their weakness last year in terms of stopping the run. It's really never been like that for them. But they've got so many good pieces. I think that one guy in the middle is going to help. You know, I think at this point, the only potential weakness on defense is probably one of those corner spots, but we'll see. Now, kind of honing in on the offense, it wasn't the best unit last year. Like you said, they were able to add some athleticism at the quarterback position. I think the arm talent, no matter who is out there, is improved versus what Big Ben was like last year. What would you say would be the the primary strength of this offense and maybe a potential weakness for the season? Yeah, I would say the strength definitely would be some of these playmakers that they have, like Najee Harris coming into year two at running back. And while he is coming off a big load last year, I think he's ready to do it again. So he's a playmaker back there, can catch the ball, can run the ball, has a really powerful body. So I think getting him the ball, and then also some of his receivers with Deontay Johnson in the slot, He's been one of the best receivers in the NFL the last couple of years in terms of just catches and also yards after the catch is really shifty. Claypool is another one that he's gotten a lot of flack on social media, but he's really talented and he's got a big body. So I think him plus George Pickens has really impressed. The uh, second round pick out of Georgia has really impressed in training camp. So the Steelers always seem to find these receivers in the draft. So I think he could be another one to keep an eye on. And for the weaknesses of this group, I think the offensive line really comes into play because last year their offense was predicated on short throws and just really running Najee into a wall just because you wonder if that was because the offensive line couldn't protect Ben long enough or if Ben didn't have the arm talent to throw it that far anymore. But it really just was getting these guys blasted as soon as they got the ball because the defense was always kind of creeping downfield and they had the first step. So I think they have some new additions with James Daniels and Dan Moore, but the group's going to have to come together and play well for this first-year quarterback and to give their skill guys some time to make plays. Yeah, the skill guys are one of the better groups in the NFL, and you know they're they're pretty young. Obviously, Deontay Johnson just got his extension, but you know George Pickens coming in as a rookie, Najee Harris coming back as a second-year player, and uh, and Pat Fryermuth as well. He's looking like he's going to be one of the better young tight ends in the NFL right now as well. So they've definitely got that skill group littered with potential stars and Deontay Johnson, even probably the one who's truly solidified himself in that category. So I do really like that as a surrounding cast for a young quarterback. The offensive line is a question and they've added a few new guys to, to, you know, improve upon what they had last year, but no certainly stars and last year you know a lot of the guys that are coming back didn't have the most consistent year you know I'm not even sure how much of it was that they just they couldn't protect there's probably some of that there was some of that but even things like penalties 
Uh, so watching the Steelers offensive line last year, that was something that kind of jumped out to me. And that, you know, false starts or holding or just all the little stuff that just isn't necessarily what we're used to from the Steelers in terms of crispness and cleanliness, if you know what I mean. So we'll see. They added a few new guys, but the line has not changed that much overall. So we'll see how that looks for, you know, whoever is still going to be starting a quarterback. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, you can point to stars all over the place. I mean, you know, they've got Minka Fitzpatrick, who I know has kind of been knocked a little bit last year, but personally, I think he's absolutely incredible and he's just everywhere. And I think probably with the addition of Miles Jack, you will see a little bit more consistent playmaking from him just because he won't have to be the one, you know, he can go make a big play versus having to try and clean up everything else. Uh, You know, and then obviously the defensive line is absolutely monstrous between TJ Watt and Cameron Hayward. So if you were going to pick out the strength of the defense, what would that be? Yeah, for sure. I was going to, um, I would definitely point to the defensive line. And for Steelers Nation, we know that we have a long history of great rush play. So I think TJ Watt, defensive player of the year on the outside, and then Alex Highsmith, bookending him on the other side, makes for a formidable pass rush. And then inside, they have Cameron Haywood, who's always solid against the run and as a pass rusher for a defensive tackle. But they also bring back Tyson Aluwalu, who was injured for pretty much all of last year. And he's a solid run defender that should help in that area. And they signed Brown's Larry Ogunjobi. So he should be another one that should be a rotation piece in there in the middle. And this defensive line should be much better against the run. And then also one of the more fearsome pass rushers in the league. Yeah, they, they just always seem to find edge rushers. You know, they are the envy of the league in, their, in their, terms of their ability to find wide receivers and edge rushers very, very consistently and cycle through those guys. So having Alex Highsmith across from TJ Watt, it's, it's a really nice one-two punch. Highsmith has a lot of potential, and it looks like he's developing in the mold of Steelers defenders. You just bring them in, they become really good. You really don't have any questions there. But the interior of the defensive line, Hopefully it's a little more healthy, but it does look like they, they've they reinforced the depth pretty well as well, especially because they drafted um, uh, DeMarvin Leal in, the I believe, the second round of this past draft. So he should add a little bit of pass rush juice as well. Ogunjobi making his rounds around the AFC uh, North. And so I like what they have going on there. That The linebacker group, you know, I, I think it's definitely better. If you had to say that there was a weakness for the defense, what do you think that would be? Yeah, I think the pass rush is going to have to be solid because the weakness is out there at cornerback. So I believe in the safeties a little more with Minka Fitzpatrick playing some of that center field. And he's just a playmaker, man. He'll come up and force fumbles. He'll sit back and get interceptions, break up passes. So he's really solid. But his other mate, Terrell Edmonds, he just got a one-year prove-it deal, which your former former first round pick is really not what you want to see but he hasn't quite developed into that first rounder and then at corner they lose the number one joe hayden who's kind of another one who's been around the afc north for a while and you sign uh levi wallace from the bills to be your number one and he played solid last year in tredavious white's absence but you just wonder it's a different role stepping into that number one corner and guarding number one receivers week in and week out 
Jamar Chase and Amari Cooper, it's not easy in this division. So behind him, you've got Cam Sutton, you've got Akella Witherspoon. So these are just a lot of guys that don't have experience at the top end of a rotation that are going to have to step up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I do like kind of the corner room as a whole when you look at all the guys, but there isn't really a guy who stands out to me who is a good matchup for the Amari Coopers of the world, for the Jamar Chases or T. Higgins of the world, or any of the other top receivers in the AFC if you really want to be competitive. You know, you're going to have to go up against Stephon Diggs at some point if you really want to make a run. So I'm not sure if Levi Wallace is that guy. You know, again, he did play well in in the Bills defense. I, I should say he played pretty well in the Bills defense as their number one uh, corner in the absence of Tredavious White. But, I mean, that defense is also completely loaded, right? Like, if you had to pick out one defense, or I mean one weakness that uh, that was on that defense, you probably had to point to him going up against uh, the the top receiver from the other team. So bringing him in to be your guy is a little bit questionable, um, especially with the way that the AFC looks in terms of receivers. So I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I think it's not going to be the type of weakness that's going to be losing them games, you know, week in and week out. But if you are trying to be competitive, trying to win those games, late in the season, trying to win a playoff game, that's where that guy is going to potentially be that weak link. So if you had to give a season prediction, which you do because I'm making you, (laughs) but uh, if you had to, what do you think that would be? What do you think they'll look like record-wise and maybe public perception-wise when this year comes to a close? Yeah, so I know a lot of people are really down on the Steelers right now. And they have them. I think Vegas has them at seven and a half on the over/under. But I think just watching Tom Wynn perform year in and year out, and just the stability that this franchise has, I think they really can overcome quarterback change. And I think the key will just be naming someone a starter, and then really letting them just show their talent and not holding them back. Because I feel like last year Matt Canada's offense kind of. It's just a little conservative and just a little don't turn the ball over, don't make huge lost plays. Then that kept the defense on the field for too long and they really got worn down. So I think it's a tough schedule in the AFC North, although with the Deshaun Watson situation, maybe Cleveland gets easier. I think the AFC South's not the worst division that we get to play. But I would say around eight or nine wins, and I think the defense really picks it up this year. And then probably not good enough to make the playoffs, but I think they have a respectable year and are maybe able to reload a little bit more next year behind a quarterback that hopefully they find can play well. Yeah, I think when once they close out this year, they, they'll they have to answer just a couple of questions at a few key positions. They're going to have to decide for sure if, if they're really comfortable with Dan Moore at, at left tackle, and if not, that's probably their biggest investment in the draft. And if he shakes out pretty well, then you got to be looking at that corner spot in the draft. So I think you're you're right. I mean, Tomlin has literally never hit the under on a 7.5 uh, win-loss uh, um, over-under. So, I mean, it, it seems a little bit silly to, to pick the under on, on them, you know? If any of his history over this time is something to look at. And you can't even say that it's all Big Ben because... Or that Big Ben was the biggest part of that because 
last year he just he, he was a genuine liability like he was a genuine roadblock to a high quality offense last year and then the year that he was out completely they still cleared seven and a half wins so I don't know I mean I think you're right I think the floor is just naturally higher than a lot of other teams who have questionable quarterback situations and the ceiling is probably limited by a few of those key positions that we just talked about but I think one more offseason is probably going to put them right back in in contention as a legitimate AFC power. I mean, assuming the quarterback works out, which you can never truly guarantee, even if you like the way the organization is run. All right, Nick, thanks for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Can you tell everybody where they might find you, whether it be social media or your written work? Yeah, on social media, you can find me on Twitter at NicholasSheets3, and I'll definitely be tweeting on game days for interview Steelers fans that like to get a little action and look at what other fans are thinking. And then for written work, I'm really just on Gridiron Heroics, and I write for UNC Tar Heels football and also the Pittsburgh Steelers, so you can check out my work there. Excellent. All right. I hope the Steelers are, are a bit of a surprise this year, and we can have you back on to chat about that. Thanks again, Nick, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you for having me, Matt. Have a great rest of your day. Everybody, I am super excited to welcome a brand new guest to the show to break down the Cincinnati Bengals for 2022, Bengal Jim. If you're a Bengals fan, you probably already know who he is. He does an awesome job on his YouTube channel, Bengal Jim's Tailgate Experience. He also does a ton of stuff with historical Bengals uh, information. I mean, like if you want to go back and really learn about the Bengals, he is the place to start and probably stop too. Jim, how are you doing today? Man, brother, I, I great, man. Thanks for having me on, Max. It means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, we are a brand new show. We don't have time to delve into every team as deeply as I would like before the season starts, right? Everything has to be done relatively efficiently and relatively quickly. So, I would love to have you back on and talk some real Bengals history coming up. But today, we're going to jump right into the 2022 Bengals. They're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, so I had to have a big guest for them, of course. Now, I want you to tell me who you think are the two key offseason additions for this 2022 Bengals team. Who's going to make an impact and try and get them back to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm going to try to answer that question as directly as I can because I don't <laughs> think I can pick two. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to break it down position groups. I think, sure. The, the you know, Last year, the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow gets sacked 70 times, 70 times, and they make it to the Super Bowl, um, you know, uh, with a chance to win that game late. So I'm going to call this one move. You pick up Leo Collins, Ted Karras, and Alex Kappa, three stud offensive linemen. The weakness on his team was the offensive line, uh, and we've improved that dramatically across the board and added some depth there. But Picking up those three studs right there is one pickup to me because, I mean, that just your biggest weakness now becomes maybe a strength, but I still think we need some depth there. But I'm going to call that one move right there. And it's not just going to help Joe Burrow. I'm, I'm telling you right now, expect if you're a fantasy football player in any way, shape, or form, don't just look at Joe Burrow. Look at Joe Mixon because these three guys on top of their existing offensive line are really is really going to be a big help uh, to Joe Mixon as well in that running game. 
But the other move I think um, that I think is the most underrated move, obviously CJ Uzama here in Cincinnati was a, a beloved uh, Bengals for many years, moves on to the Jets, took a big payday. But the Bengals picked up a kid named Hayden Hurst uh, from uh, from Atlanta. Uh, this kid was a number one draft pick by the Ravens years ago. But this kid in camp is lighting it up. He's a better route runner, better hands, maybe not the as good a blocker as, as CJ, but this kid is a better all-around tight end. So I really expect Hayden, if he stays healthy, to have a just a humongous year. So excited about the offense, obviously, and excited about the, the three pickups on the offensive line. And Hayden Hurst will be the the most underrated uh, pickup in the offseason because this kid is is lighting it up right now in training camp. Yeah, you know, just looking at the offensive line, I've said before, this Super Bowl had a lot of entertainment value for me personally. Now, I it was terrifying watching him be utterly harassed by the the Rams defensive line and all of the defensive lines throughout the playoffs. But it was very exciting at the same time watching him navigate that and almost make it all the way. It, it was pretty wild, but for his sake and for Bengals fans sake, I don't really want to see that happen again. So improving the offensive line was a huge deal for them. They didn't go, you know, all out at any one position. They made sure to upgrade all of them to have adequate play. So I think that's a big deal. And look, personally speaking, now everybody who's listening knows I'm not a Bengals fan. Jim, you don't know that yet, but I still have the Bengals ranked as the number one skill group in the NFL. That's just my personal opinion. So, you know, between Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, who I really love, and Joe Mixon, that's an excellent top three. Now, C.J. Uzama was a good tight end. He was a good blocker. He's a bit more linear in his route running. I think Hayden Hurst has a little bit more kind of versatile athleticism to him. So with the, what they have on the outside, and of course, I can't fail to mention um, uh, Tyler Boyd either. So when you've got all those guys, I think it opens up a lot of space for an athletic tight end to do some damage there as well. So I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm, and I'm pretty excited for what that offense is going to look like. On that note, I do pretty consistently insist that my guest point out what could be the potential weakness of either side of the ball, right? So look, I love what they've done on the offense. I love what they have. For me personally, also, Joe Burrow is a top five QB, even over Justin Herbert again not throwing shade or anything, just my personal opinion. So all that said, what do you think would potentially hold the Bengals offense back this year? Um, I, I tell you what, I'll, the issue with the offense, really, I mean, like you said, skill position group, there's three stud wide receivers uh, running back a little bit of depth there, Joe Burrow, uh, the improved offensive line, the issue right there, Max, uh, you know, again, Last year, we knew going into the year it was the offensive line. There was two or three holes. We were, like, crossing our fingers and toes to get through the year without Burrow getting hurt. But the depth that right now, uh, this team has done a hell of a job um, addressing needs across the board the past three years. Spent a lot of money in free agency, especially on that defense. But I would tell you that I, the only concern I have right now uh, is the depth on the offensive line. I mean, if if – Leo Collins goes down at right tackle, it, it, we're in trouble. Uh, we're in trouble. We were back to where we were last year with some of these guys. But it's depth right now, and I think you're going to probably see some of that addressed here even before the season begins September 11th because I think you're going to see some guys that could add to some depth, salary cap-type situations, 
uh, that might be able to help us uh, with some depth here before the before the preseason's over. I got a feeling you're going to see some the Bengals pick up some more offensive linemen here. Yeah, I mean, all you need to look at is the Jets losing Mackay Becton for injury in training camp, and they were already looking for depth. I mean, they already had Dwayne Brown in for a visit right before that, and this obviously sped up the process. And so now he's a Jet, but you know. Offensive lineman is something you cannot have enough depth at. So I, I totally agree with you there. I'm, I'm not sure we need to rehash the the uh, Bengals skill group or quarterback situation. If you want to wax poetically, I'll certainly give you the opportunity. But I'm I'm very enthusiastic about what they have. Dude, I, I you know it's crazy. I think they have the best receiving core in the NFL right now. Um, I think other people would agree with me outside uh, the Bengal fans. But uh, what's going to be interesting over the next couple of years is these rookie contracts coming due. I don't know how they're going to keep Joe Burrow and T Higgins and, and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. It's a special group, man. It's a, it's, it's not a, you know, in years past, we've had the divas at wide receiver. We had Toro Owens here in Cincinnati with Chad Johnson, throw me the ball, give me the ball. These guys take turns getting the ball. If they're double covered. They expect them not, they expect themselves not to have the biggest game in the world, but one of their teammates are not selfish group, very uh, close knit receiving group here. I, I'm excited about – I'm excited. I was excited going into last year. I'm more excited this year just because we've improved the team. I fully expect these guys to make another run to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, I, I'm i a bit of a cap enthusiast, you know, specialist maybe you could even say. So I am absolutely fascinated to see how they approach that over the next coming couple of years uh, because they've got big-time players, a lot of them. Now, I think that's probably one of the main reasons that they've approached the Jesse Bates situation that they have because they're looking forward to like, I don't want to, or we don't want to guarantee this guy who's a good player a ton of money when we know that we're going to have to invest a lot of money to the guys that are probably, and again, not to take anything away from Jesse Bates, but the most impactful for us winning games over the next few years. So Bengals fans, just keep in mind that they're, you know, it's not just necessarily that they're cheap in parentheses, you know, or in quotes as, as they're portrayed which you know again that's a whole other conversation but there is some reason to to the methodology there on that note let's roll over to the defense now this is a defense where a lot of outside free agents were brought in Um, it was a major point of investment from the non-draft perspective of course until you brought in your first round safety this year or db or however you guys want to classify him and it paid dividends. You had a good defense. You had a good pass rush. You had better linebacker play than uh, than I was anticipating, honestly. And the the defensive unit, the defensive back unit, played pretty well together. I don't know if there was a star really outside of Bates, but now going into twenty twenty two, we know that defense is volatile, right? It's there's a lot of variance when we look at defense. A very good year doesn't necessarily come back with a very good year, so. Let's look at the positive side first. If it does have a great year, what do you think leads the way defensively? Yeah, just exactly where I think it started last year for the team was up front. I mean, you had a big acquisition signing a few years back. DJ Readers is dominant as interior defensive lineman as there is in the NFL. That guy is a straight stud. They picked up BJ Hill for a trade for uh, uh, Billy Price, which was a lopsided trade for us. But BJ Hill's <laughs> Hill, first game comes in, has two sacks, and has really contributed last year. Um, you got Hubbard and Trey Hop, uh, Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson just had one hell of a year last year. 
just disrupting the, the, the passer in the backfield. Uh, Sam Hubbard, I mean, those guys up front is key. The, the linebacking core, not a lot of big names, very athletic, extremely athletic compared to where we were a few years ago. And that's secondary at, at both levels of the, in, in the secondary, corners and safeties have been a really legit. I mean, uh, Awuzier has been outstanding. Both safeties uh, have been outstanding. So this defense, that's where they spent bulk of the money on uh, the previous two years, uh, $200 million, most of that spent on, on the defense. So we did u- lose Ogunjobi uh, in free agency this year. He got hurt uh, in the playoffs, I think the Raiders game last year. But it's going to start and, and finish with that defensive line up front because they dictate what happens at second and third level, levels of that defense. And they, they, they were outstanding last year. They didn't have to blitz a lot. They were able to get pressure with four, three or four. Uh, so – I think with the guys they just drafted as well, uh, I don't have all their names in front of me right now, but there was four guys, long arm, long athletic, sub four, four guys. Uh, you're going to see in this division at AFC North, you've got to have fast, athletic, strong, long guys that can that can handle these quarterbacks in this division. And that's what this team is built for um, to beat the, you know, the Baltimore Ravens, the Steelers and the, and the Cleveland Browns, because, um, they're, they're very athletic defensively. Where two or three years ago, we couldn't have said that. So, looking at the negative side, right? We're pretty confident in the offense. We're confident in the front four. If there is something that's going to hold back the defense, if they do struggle a bit at times for the season, what do you think is the most likely unit and or even specifically player, if you want, that would be the culprit? Man, it's tough. I, I guess I'll stay with a unit, although I'm I'm not. I do like our linebacking core. I mean, they're extremely athletic, extremely young. Um, there are times that tight ends hurt us, uh, you know, covering tight ends out of the backfield, you know, and t- covering running backs. I, I don't know if I'm nitpicking, looking for something. There's just not that one stud uh, linebacker because they're all pretty much the same type of linebacker. But Logan Wilson is one of the best linebackers in this league. Um you know, again, not a lot of depth at the linebacker because we got hurt pretty bad last year at the linebacking position as well. But there's one spot I had to nitpick a little bit. It might be that linebacking core, but uh, um, they're they're pretty solid. I remember specifically in that the uh, upset game by the Jets, the linebackers were a bit taken advantage of by the Jets uh, running backs in the passing game in the short passing game uh, with, with Yak and uh, the slot receivers. And I think I don't remember the tight ends really doing that much, but I remember specifically the slot receivers and the running backs were doing a lot of damage over the middle and in the flats with run after the catch. So it's hard to to win an entire game doing that. But that was the Jets recipe. That's how they ended up having Mike White with a 400 yard passing game. So dink and dunk all the way home. Yeah, the Bengals put Mike White in the damn Hall of Fame that day. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, you know, I don't know if I fully blame the linebackers there. I, I don't know. I think that might have been more of an issue with a defensive scheme. that didn't seem like it got changed a whole lot throughout the game. But, you know, Mike White beat you. I mean, I, that didn't, I was at, physically at that game in New York. And uh, great time in New York, but not a fun day at the game that day. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I, I bet – that Jet Stadium was pretty raucous because that was what maybe their second win of last year. So, yep. All right, I'm gonna get a final prediction for you for this season. You know, you 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 can mellow it out. You can go hard on it. Whatever you want. Whatever you feel. What do you think is gonna be the final record, approximately, for the Bengals this year? And if they make the playoffs, how far you think they're going? 
So this might be the homer of me, but I go 17 and 0, baby. 17 and 0. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, without going into a record, I, I do truly believe this team has improved at many different levels and aspects of this team. Um, they still need to build some depth on that offensive line. Uh, you know, I, I do th- I mean, city up north, the Cleveland Browns, as we call them, the city up north, they're really solid defensively, got a great offensive line, got great running backs. I still say that team doesn't make it just because they're not going to have a quarterback that they need. Uh, I think the city near West Virginia, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they, uh, they're going to struggle, uh, I think, early in the year. And the Bengals have them opening day here in Cincinnati. Uh, and I truly believe um, we are a better ball team than Baltimore, although Baltimore had one hell of a draft this year. Um, so I, I do fully expect them to win AFC North. I don't think it's going to be a runaway, but I do expect them to win it in AFC North. And I fully expect them to make another run in the playoffs to the Super Bowl. I just – you can't – I think you've got teams like um, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City, San Diego – um, that I think might be the class of the AFC this year and maybe for a long time to come uh, with these young quarterbacks they got behind center right now. So I, I don't have a record, but I do I do feel they win the AFC North, and I think they make a serious run in the playoffs to the Super Bowl again. If they stay healthy, they're back in the Super Bowl. And, and again, you can say that for a lot of teams, if they stay healthy at certain positions, right? Quarterback, yeah. off the line, pretty damn important. But uh, I think they're built for a run here, uh, not just this year, but I think the young talent they have, they keep it together and they stay healthy. They've got this team's built for a run for many, many years. Yeah, I think Joe Burrow is the truth. And as long as you don't have the team falling apart around him, he's pretty much always going to have my vote. Um, so I, I really can't disagree with you. Again, not a Bengals fan, but definitely a believer in, in what they've accumulated there. So you know, you know, Jim's been around for a while. It's probably going to be at least a few more years, if ever, if we ever get him to transition to Los Angeles instead of San Diego. But uh, <laughs> my bad, man. I can't say it. <laughs> it's all good. But uh, okay, Jim, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, you you have a pretty substantial Twitter following, and you can hit anything else that you want to before I let you be on your way this evening. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate having me on, Max. Yeah, if anybody wants to follow or, or keep up with what's what, what's going on in Cincinnati uh, with our Bengals and what we're doing, just uh, on Twitter, it's at Bengal Jim. Jim's underscore BTR before the roar is what that stands for. It's the same on Facebook. It's the same on Instagram. We do a weekly podcast, like you had mentioned earlier, Max. We've had dozens and dozens of former players on. We had Coach Taylor on a few weeks ago. We had the 2005 Bengals team with Willie Anderson, TJ Hushmanzada. We had all those guys on about two weeks ago. Um, and we're hoping, uh, truly, this Tuesday is the announcement for the, the Hall of Fame uh, for the senior votes, the three seniors that go into the Hall of Fame. And there's 12 candidates left out of the 40 they started with. Two of those seniors are Ken Anderson and Ken Riley, uh, Cincinnati Bengal players that we are really fighting really hard to get in. So uh, we, we focus on a lot of Bengal history, uh, and we focus on uh, what we call Jungle to the Hall, really focusing – energies energy around getting information and data into some of these young voters uh that are writers who really don't know who in the hell ken riley is uh, and ken, Anderson. <laughs> ken riley the fifth all-time leading interception leader in nfl history not in a hall of fame uh the other guy he's tied with was a first ballot hall of famer so a lot of uh, bias in the nfl hall of fame but uh, a big focus on those guys but you can follow us on any, any of our social media platforms uh, and keep up with what we're doing across the board with that but i uh, mean i appreciate appreciate you having me buddy of course, of course. Thanks for coming. And look, I'm a Jets fan, so you know we're fighting that same fight for Joe Klecko, man. You know, one year earlier he would have had the NFL sack record, but they weren't 
instituted as a statistic at that point. So, you know, what are you going to do? But uh, look, here's the last thing. I was going to let you go, and it just occurred to me. It's it's timely. How do you feel about the name change for the stadium? You know, I I don't care uh, at at the end of the day. Um, So what they have done with Elizabeth Blackburn, the granddaughter uh, of Mike Brown and a great-granddaughter of Paul Brown, have been inv- has been involved in the organization dramatically over the past couple of years. Caroline and Elizabeth Blackburn have kind of taken the Bengals from maybe behind, like maybe number 30, 32, <laughs> in social media and fan engagement to maybe the top three or four in social media engagement and fan engagement at the, at the, uh, at Paul Brown stadium or now as Paycor stadium. But, uh, you know, I think what she has done has been strategic, right? So the last couple of years, they've done a few things. They've implemented the Ring of Honor. So Paul Brown's name is up on the Ring of Honor. The new uniforms they broke out last year, Paul Brown's signature is on the inside collar of that stadium. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, of that uniform. So his name's not going to be on the stadium anymore, but he is inside that stadium in the Ring of Honor. He's on every single Bengal player uniform, that signature in the back of their jersey on the inside of the jersey. I got a feeling there's going to be some more things come up uh, here the next uh, few years, potentially some statues out in front of, uh, of the stadium, which have been needed. That uh, They've done a really good job the past two or three years tying the history of this organization into everything they do today. And it was the one thing that I had the biggest gripe about uh, from the organization was just that. And they've addressed that strongly over the past few years. But I'm okay with it not being called Paul Brown Stadium. It's a, it's a family-run organization. Very few of those teams left uh, run like that. They don't have any other own any other businesses. Small market. Uh, they're trying to make things work, and in the revenue from that um, stadium uh, naming is going to help them long term. So, look, just remember for any Bengals fans who are unhappy about it, those naming rights fees, they are going to be paying Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to be here for a long time. Just remember that. All right, Jim. Thanks so much. We'll have you on again very soon. As soon as the Bengals become relevant and if they have a nice run to start this the season you will be the first person i will call to come on and talk about that thank you so much brother hunt me down anytime i appreciate it man go jets go Bengals. <laughs> we'll see you again very soon thanks again everybody for listening along remember i'm max dean and you can find me on twitter at the max dean our podcast is available on any podcasting platform and if you do listen on apple podcasts a review and a rating to go a long way So, thanks much. On Monday, we're going to be doing a few different interesting segments before we get back to our division previews. First, we're going to have a CFB primer. We're also going to recap the first episode of Hard Knocks with the Lions. And then we're going to recap some of the preseason games, the best games we're going to talk about. So, we'll see you all very soon.